In today's episode of Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, we will be talking about Bitcoin, inflation, stablecoins, what went wrong with Web3 gaming, what is the future of all this, and to talk about all this, I have none other than Bill Robinson, who is doing a PhD in game design, especially like Web3 game design and humanities and how it all interacts. So I think there are very few people who are as qualified to talk about all these topics like Will. And Will is also from Alliance DAO. Alliance DAO is building one of the world's best Web3 accelerator. Will has been enthralled by the magic of Bitcoin. How Bitcoin works, its mechanism, its design, and just how blockchain is going to change humanity, how it's going to change how tech operates in future. Prior to Alliance DAO, Will has been involved in this world of blockchain. He was working for Grant Thornton where they audited various blockchain companies from around the world. Finally, I do not monetize my podcast by running ads and sponsorships. My only request for you is that share this link with a friend and subscribe and leave a review for this podcast. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities, and my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So, well, it's great to have you on the show. Would love to know a bit about what you are up to these days and also a bit about Alliance DAO. Sure. A bit about me and what I'm up to. I'm mentoring and going through applications for startups that have been applying to Alliance DAO, which is an accelerator. And we've been pretty successful in rounding up about 1,700 applicants, this cohort. We got to boil that down to 25. So it's a lot of work. That is a lot of work, but I'm sure you also find it so energetic or energizing to go through so many young people creating all these new solutions and products and services and everything in the space. Definitely. And luckily, I'm not the first pass through, so I get to go through the top 10%, which means everybody's onto something cool and has a fascinating background and journey that has gotten them into Web3. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And what about you? What's your journey? How did you end up in working in Web3? Sure. So I was doing a PhD in video game design uh, and my cousin brought me to a speakeasy in New York and he explained how Bitcoin worked to me. And he said, look, I know you're going in this game theory, game design path and you want to be an academic, but I think you should leave academia and join me in the crypto world. And I'd never really given it much thought, but he told me to read Mastering Bitcoin. And by the time I was done going cover to cover, I was hooked, red-pilled, couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing when you look at all the good products. They don't need marketing. They have such strong evangelists, whether it is Bitcoin or Tesla back in the early days or 
Sure. Apple iPhone, when it was new in 2008, 9, 10, like they become, <laughs> they want to spread the gospel of that product or service or whatever it might be. And yeah, it was so magical thinking about, okay, there's also just like normal magic that existed already independently that I didn't know about. Like I didn't know that how hash functions worked and like just yeah. alone, a hash function is a fascinating thing to learn about. And I didn't know how like cryptography worked. And that alone was a fascinating thing to talk about. And then thinking about how to produce civil resistance. Oh my God, so cool. And then when you put them all together, it became this crazy emergent property of information money. And I, yes. I just didn't know what to do with myself because, okay, so think about soccer, right? Soccer is only possible because everybody agrees not to touch the ball with their hands. Yep. Uh, and as a result, we have an interesting game to look at. So interesting in fact that it's like a multi-billion dollar economy, right? Yeah. Just watching people move balls without their hands. In Bitcoin, it was like, if you promise to operate your computer system in this way, a new game will emerge and we'll have an uncensorable money that doesn't understand like legal borders, right? It'll just be like value and information become one. Yeah. And that was shocking, right? Like here was more than, or here's like a game that produced more than entertainment. It produced a whole new layer of economics. And that's why I was fascinated. That is so true. And when was that? When did your brother, when was that time in Speakeasy? What year yeah, was that? Yeah, it was I mean? 2017, early 2017. Yes. So before Bitcoin Cash fork, before the big bull runs. And it was a great time to get into crypto because everything was getting exciting and more excited. And I was like four months ahead of the curve for that bull market. So I felt like I knew something other people didn't, which was great. <laughs> yeah, which is always good. I tried to mine. I'm quite older. I tried to mine Bitcoin in 2012 in my laptop and I was unsuccessful because even by that time, there were professional miners out there and it was not that easy. And then I was going to all these dodgy places to download software to do that and stuff. And then I got virus from that. And I was like, this is so hard. Why would anyone use this? This is 2012. This is the Ethereum era. Yeah. Would anyone even use this money? I cannot see my mom or dad or anyone ever going to something <laughs> like this and like most of the world. So, but over time, I could say like even in 2017, 18, I was building small MVPs and in this space and trying different things and playing with crypto kitties in early 2018 and all that. I don't know if you even remember from back then. Oh yeah. I was and, a heavy crypto kitty user. Yeah. And, but then I just got busy with life and work and everything. And until a year and a half ago, when I thought, you know what, I need to jump into this full time. I, <laughs> I have ignored this enough because I knew everything, but still I sat on the sidelines and watched this time. I'm like in it full time and I can see the future that this is the way to go. But I, it would be very interesting to see how different governments adapt to this because money has been such a big form of control for any government, whether from the smallest country to the largest country in the world. That's how they control the population through money. And, and when you don't have that means, what does that mean? Is it complete decentralization and order or is it complete anarchy <laughs> so that i don't know i don't know what are your thoughts on that sure so i'm actually a fan unlike most people in crypto space of modern monetary theory and the idea that governments should spend tons of money until yeah. there's basically no unemployment and inflate money like crazy but i also think that you need to be aware that money is going to be inflating like crazy and uh 
I agree. Governments control populations with money because what they do is they print money to reach objectives, build this highway. I've printed some money. I'm going to spend it on the highway. And at the end of the year, I'm going to tax everybody who wants to live around this highway and around my country, not because I need the money. Remember, I can print the money. I don't need money. I can print all the money I want just to reduce inflation. And people usually get that backwards. They think that federal governments need to tax to get money to then spend it, but it's the other way around. Municipal or provincial governments, they have to work like a family home. They need to tax to have money to then yeah. spend it. But once you realize that flip, you know, that sovereign banking governments like Japan, Canada, England, USA, basically get to coordinate their entire population through the printing and taxation of money, you don't want to take that away from them. Like, it would be scary if we lost the ability to print money to make yeah. people do stuff. So I was never really into Bitcoin for the premise of avoiding inflation. That was not really why I was excited about it. What excited me, in addition to just the technology being fascinating, which is like in and of itself enough for me, like I'm a researcher, right? PhD, yeah. like that for me, just knowledge is enough. But what I liked about it was this failsafe kind of gave humanity a exit from the worst case scenario, which is a despotic government with total surveillance control with AI surveilling on top of that total surveillance feed, yes. punishing and freezing the bank accounts of anybody who wants to change the system. Yeah. Being all of a sudden unable to censor or stop people who use Bitcoin, to have people get access to funds to terrorize governments. So I always yes. jokingly say Bitcoin's number one use case is terrorist financing. That yeah. And one man's terrorist is another man's revolutionary, to always remember that, right? Yeah, and that if you yeah, live totally. in a great government, you don't want terrorists. But if you live in a shitty government, you want revolutionaries. Yeah. And so Bitcoin is this like access to that. It is more powerful than the gun. Yeah, very interesting. I believe that you need small amount of inflation for any economy to function like one to three percent because it's like deflation is the worst thing that can happen to an economy is why do you want to buy a car now for hundred thousand dollars when you can buy just wait for three months and buy it for fifty thousand dollars because the money it depends is more how much valuable. utility i'm going to get between now and three months from now from my car yeah it's an yeah. annoying way to think about it yeah. yeah so the thing is people stop spending money and no one wants to spend deflationary money so that's what happens whatever services you sell whether it's web design or it's graphic or whatever service might be so we just wait we just wait it's like deflationary money is, it stops the economy in its track. It's like Japan has been trying to battle deflation for the last 30 years and it's still struggling with deflation, even with 0% interest rates. They can't do anything. They can't move anywhere, go anywhere um, because of that. You don't get return on any other asset apart from the cash. And then the cash just sits there being unproductive and stuff. So it's just like no one wants to become the joke of that person who bought the pizza for $10 million on Bitcoin. Because you just don't want to spend that money. And that's why Bitcoin is not used for transactions. It is used for store of value. And the one thing that I really loved about, about crypto is stable coins because they made life so much easier for people like me who are overseas and who work overseas. And I hire overseas. I've hired people in Azerbaijan and Nigeria and Philippines and Bangladesh. Everyone wants to be paid in stable coins because it removes the fluctuations of the Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these, all these ones. It's fast transaction. It doesn't charge me as much as Stripe or TransferWise or PayPal, which is insane. They give me extremely bad exchange rate and stuff. 
Whereas stable coins, you can move in a fraction of a second. You know exactly what value you are getting out of that 50 USDC or 50 USDT. It's 50 USD. So it's been amazing. And that's been like a real utility that's changing people's life all around the world. But I can, that's why I see why governments are going after them. Because- right. The reason why I wouldn't want to use them is because there's like a fundamental black swan risk to these yes. properties. So I would maybe want to receive payment in them, but I would never want to hold. No, USD, never want to hold. USDT. Yeah. The thing is you convert it to fiat and spend money because for most people, they don't have a massive portfolio. Most people who are working for me, they're doing design at $30 an hour or web, like website yeah. development at $25 an hour or whatever it might be. So they, it's just a way for them to work and exchange value. And for exchanging value, it has been great. And I think governments would see that. It's out of the top 10 by market cap, four of them were stable coins. If they had let it run, most of them would be stable coins in the next five years or three years. And there would be no utility for their currency. No one's using their currency. Everyone's using stable coins. So I could see that why governments will go after the stable coins and they would want to promote CDBCs. Yeah, I was going to say that you have so much experience in gaming and that's an area I love. I've worked in esports before. I would love to hear your thoughts on the state of Web3 gaming at the moment. Sure. So... When I joined crypto, I was giving up my gaming life. I stopped being a gaming expert and really became a DeFi crypto expert from 2017 to 2020. And then with the emergence of Axie, excitement around gaming and Web3 became very high. And it was very confusing to me because Axie as a game was fine. People said it wasn't fun, which wasn't true. It was a fun game, but it just wasn't a $70 billion fund game, which is what the market cap was at. And that was shocking. And so I went on this deep dive of like, why does Axie worth so much? What could possibly be the reasons? And one reason was they owned an L1, Ronin, right? And so perhaps if they could onboard millions of players to their own blockchain, they would use the fat layer one thesis and capture a lot of value. If the fat layer one thesis didn't succeed, Maybe they would capture value in the fat app thesis because they had Katana, Dex, and they were going to have a lending protocol and basically rebuild DeFi, but where they own the whole stack. I thought, okay, maybe they'll make money as a neobank where Axie is a loss leader, bringing in all of these gamers to financial services that they never had access to. And because these gamers are like 13, 14, they don't even have banks yet. So when we say we're banking the unbanked, Often we think about banking people who are like in their 30s in Africa or something, but really we're banking 12-year-olds who are unbanked because they didn't have assets, and now they do. And then thinking further, Ronin didn't have MetaMask work on its chain. They decided to fork it and build their own wallet. And so if you have a fat wallet thesis where the wallet's going to take a cut on everything, then they were going to make money there. And so all those things got me really excited about games. Not as the end state of crypto or the thing that made that crypto even made better, but as the loss leading marketing campaign for crypto, that what was going to bring the next billion users was going to be video games. And that sounded like a cool idea. What I don't think Axie understood at the time, certainly do now, or Stepan later understood, was the power of a reflexive economy. And I think this is what confused a lot of people with regards to play to earn. So for people who are watching or listening, I think it's really important to know 
how this phenomenon happened. Because the, for anybody who doesn't know, the price of Axie spiked to $400 an axolotl and went yeah. right back down to a couple dollars an axolotl. How does that happen so quickly? And the mental model people need to have is I get for $1 a game asset. I play with it. And then over some time, I get another one, which I can sell for $1 make me whole. And then some more time later, I can sell another one for a dollar and within a year I can sell three. That's crazy, right? Because now I can make $3 and only spend one. Obviously I have to play the whole year. So that's not that exciting, right? In terms of yes. revenue, it's pretty minimum yeah. for hourly rate. But for some people that's interesting enough that they'd want to buy one of these things from you. And that would create buy pressure. Yeah. And that buy pressure puts your dollar to a dollar fifty. And now instead of making a dollar fifty three times, uh, instead of making a dollar three times, getting three dollars, making four dollars and fifty cents. Yes. Now it looks more exciting. More people are interested. They want to buy in. Yep. That pushes the price even higher. Six dollars a piece now, right? Yes. And so instead of making four fifty, I'm making eighteen dollars a year. More people are excited. Yeah. Now it's thirty five dollars. Now it's a hundred dollars. Now I'm making three hundred dollars a day just because everybody's fomoing into this curve, realizing. Yes. The more it goes up, the more valuable it is. Yeah. And that's true so long as demand exceeds production. And people didn't see that. They didn't do the math that way. And they didn't realize that as soon as demand drops by even a little bit, even a little, like as soon as like one person's like, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. Then the price drops. Then the people who are at that break point say, oh, well, it's not worth it for me anymore. So they leave and the price drops. And then all of those levers go down. And we're left with a lot of players holding assets onboarded to this blockchain, but not having that earnable aspect anymore, which makes yeah. sense. You can't earn money for not creating value, right? Yeah. That's what I say from the beginning. Like you have to create value to produce value. And so I still think today a huge chunk of people believe that games in Web3 should be for play to in some sense where I can just like faff about in your game in my mom's basement and make money. And that's like the panacea for humanity that we're just going <laughs> to all things. I do think play to earn is possible. Like I love Dota. I'm a deep yes. Dota 2 fan. I love paying $10 to the international so I can watch in client with like really great bonus capabilities while looking at the match. And I love that half of my money that I spend to watch the tournament goes to the pro players and that yes. they get to earn a living being pro players. That's play to earn, yeah. but that's only for the top 0.001%. Exactly. And that's how yeah. Yes. Exactly right. Yes. And what crypto could do is maybe stretch it. So maybe the top 1% could make a bit more money. You could flatten out your curve of who you pay out. And then you get more evangelists. Maybe you can pay out YouTubers more easily. Maybe you can pay people out in upside, not just cash, but imagine if Valve gave equity to the Dota winners, right? It, which yeah. is one of the hardest things to get in the planet, equity yes. in Valve. That would be cool. But yeah, I don't know. So it's the status of what I call Web 2.5 gaming. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. But I completely understand. I think what, in my humble opinion, I feel like what the games forgot is that they have to be fun. Everything else comes secondary. If it is not fun, people are not going to stick around. If they are fun, people are going to pay exorbitant amounts to even keep playing the game because we want that dopamine fix. That's what I feel. And which is right. one of the hardest thing is to create something that is fun. It's even 
multi-billion dollar studios, like whether it's EA or Ubisoft or Activision or like so many of them, they all have flops. Sometimes they spend five years developing a game with 20,000 people in their studio and they still get flops. Not yeah. every game succeeds. So it's, it's not like there is a simple formula anyone can adapt and then that's it it will be a super hit game and become a cultural phenomenon and stuff it's it is so hard to that to do that and i feel like they're being in the like the tournament world and being in the esports and all that and just in the gaming world and being gaming for over 20 years now it's like there's always been expensive cosmetic items and all those like even in counter-strike you could buy, even 10 years ago, you could buy like a butterfly knife for $5,000. But the supply was super, super duper limited. And not the first person bought it for that. There's like a secondary marketplaces and stuff for that. Those cosmetic, and so many games have that. And so many games you can pay people to play for you in the early stages to upgrade your character, whether it's in World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. like WoW, or some other game. There's lots of, and there are people, like I used to play Destiny a lot back in the days, Destiny 1, not even Destiny 2. And people would play, pay other people to coach them or take them through the trials or things like that. And that's like pay to play to earn because someone is paying them sure. to coach them on PVP and those sort of things. I do feel like these payments and stuff could be made easier with crypto. And so then more people can participate in that because it's very hard because you're playing on international servers all around the world and you don't know the person who's teaching you is like a 16-year-old kid in Bangladesh or I don't know, or somewhere in Sri Lanka or somewhere random place. And right. you have no idea. And how are you going to pay them US dollars? He doesn't have an account. But crypto can facilitate that, as you say, that Web 2.5, it could be not just 0 0.0001, but maybe one or 2% of people who are now making money in play to earn in other ways. And I think one of the big things to realize is that crypto doesn't make the game different or better. There, yes. Games are already Turing complete. If there's no real way to improve game design by putting it on a blockchain, from my perspective, you know, I think you can improve the process of designing games. I think Web3 games help with that. And I think you can do the process of finance around games better with crypto. Yes. Uh, and to go back to your idea of fun, for me, the why is it important to be fun? Fun creates value. And once you create value, then you can capture value. And only then can you redistribute the value that you have captured, right? And so there's no play to earn if there's no capture of value. And there's no capture of value if there's no creation of value. That's yeah. otherwise you're just in a zero sum game. All these companies are trying to make fun games. That coach who's earning money as a player is creating yes. value for someone who's being coached. That pro athlete yes. putting on a show is creating value for the spectator. The modder who's adding new content is creating value for the developer and the players. And all these people can make a living or maybe just a modest hobby, some amount of money, yeah. creating whatever value they can. And I think that's reasonable. And we just can't lose sight of how much value is being created and by who. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You say that. What has been the most fun game that you have played in Web3? Good question. The game that captured the most of my time and attention was Dark Forest. So Dark Force is about two years old now. It was one of the first fully on-chain games that had sufficient complexity. It was based off of Galcon, which is a game where you have a planet that produces ships. You send those ships to another empty planet. And now if you sent enough, you take it over. You've got two planets making ships. You can send those ships each to more planets until your empire grows exponentially. 
and then you hit enemies who are also growing their empire exponentially, and then you start fighting with your ships from planet to planet. And this was done fully on chain on XDI at the time. It's now called Gnosis Chain by a team of three kids in a house, just like hacking away all day long. Um, they've since gone on to create Zero X Park, one of the most fantastic research institutions in crypto that's actively building awesome stuff. And I just remember having missed the NFT boom being way too middle curve a person to ever yes. think of buying JPEGs, seeing for the first time a game fully on chain and where the prizes were NFTs for winning. I was like, okay, this is something I can believe in. I've got conviction in this, a fully on chain game with NFTs. Those NFTs are rare. They're provably rare because the only way to get them is to beat other people in a complex smart contract game world, right? The devs can't mint unlimited of these NFTs. There's just like only one winner provably on chain. That's awesome. So I tried to win the game. The problem is because fully on chain, it's client agnostic. You're incentivized to build software to beat the game, like high frequency playing algorithms that optimize all your moves. In fact, your goal is to not even play the game itself, but to build the robots that play the game. And I wasn't good enough at building robots. So I had to recruit a bunch of Coinbase engineers build a giant DAO, have tons of people dedicate resources, get like kids in high school to pilot my empires. Uh, yes. And we did come in first place, but it took in a huge amount of effort. And then we got to decentralize ownership of our prize to all the people who contributed. And that felt awesome, right? Like we yeah. were, and we built a guild that had like financial rails that could share its like revenue all permissionlessly on chain. Yeah. And it's for nerds and it's not scalable, but it's version one. And we don't know what version two, three, four, five will look like. But for me, that's where all my time now goes is to fully on-chain games like Dark Forest. What are some other interesting games, fully on-chain games coming out in the near future? So the most interesting project actually isn't a game, but the infrastructure to build those games called mud.dev. The VCs are drooling after this game engine. They call it like, think of it like unity for, but on chain games, like an Whoa. engine made for on chain games. But the problem is they won't take any VC money because they really want the community to be able to build on this thing. Like it was its own layer one to build this new sort of ecosystem and world. And they call their games, not metaverses, but autonomous worlds, worlds yeah. that will live on forever. Yes. automated fully on chain. And that's what makes them exciting. And the hard part is one coordination between these worlds. So they've built an entity component system, which is a key part of game development, where there's one contract that holds every kind of interaction that you can have. And your games can just borrow different interactions that exist shared. And also just like, it's really painful to synchronize your front end client with the blockchain. So like when you're making yes. moves on chain, it's hard for the front end client to actually know what the game state is and keep it updated. And so they built that net code out. And wow. there's a huge community forming around this. My friend Hank is building a game called Dark Seas, which is like about boats fighting in, in the Bahamas, from what I can tell. And it looks like yeah. it's really fun. I've played it, like shooting my cannons at other people's boats from my boat. And I've seen cool tower defenses being made on this platform. And I'm just really stoked for what people are going to be trying out now that there's more tooling coming out for them. Yeah. Oh, mud looks amazing. It's It looks like... So easy to make a on-chain games. I just had a look at their website. I get, I'm getting tempted to create a game of some sort. It looks yeah, so good. No. I completely see it. Why VCs are drooling over it. 
Oh, yeah. It's the, one of the hottest narratives. I think the way to convince people about this is Coinbase is a great company, right? It makes money. It's got lots of users. But it's not actually a Web3 company. It's a Web2 company that sells Web3 assets. Yes. Compare yes, that to Uniswap. Uniswap is a protocol that swaps assets like Coinbase, but is ownerless, operates independently, is uncensorable. Yeah. No one can turn Uniswap off, and it could even generate profits one day if they decide to push the Uniswap tokens as receiving dividends or fees. And that's just amazing. And because of Uniswap, you have things like flash loans, which some people don't like. But for me, that's like science fiction shit. Like a 12-year-old in their basement can access $4 billion to make a giant arbitrage play so long as they're profitable <laughs> by the end and return it. And it it's like, happening. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I, I remember so many young people arbitraging Bitcoin back in the early days. These are, this is the Mt. Gox days because mm -hmm. Bitcoin was so expensive in Korea and so much cheaper in US. And I had friends in India, really young guys doing it, not even 18, doing the arbitrage from right. US. And the centralized India, exchange Korea. stuff. Yeah. But like for the people at home who are listening, like the way Uniswap works, is when you make a swap for, let's say, Ether to US dollars, Uniswap first credits you the US dollars before taking the Ether out of your pocket. And in between, you getting the US dollars and you paying back the ETH that you had to put in to get those dollars, you can execute code. So you can spend those dollars to buy some Aave tokens. You can spend those Aave tokens to buy some ETH. And if you end up buying more ETH than what you needed to put in, you could put the ETH back in before your transaction's completed, making it whole, but in your account, having some extra ETH that you didn't have from before. So you arbitrage without actually having any capital to begin with, which is usually impossible. And the It is amazing. <laughs> right? And so for Uniswap, you could potentially say, I'm going to trade you $4 million of ETH for $4 million of USDC, even though I have no money myself. And I'm going to then take that USDC and I'm going to buy two other assets. I'm going to swap them around, take out a loan, get some leverage, do whatever, and then get my ETH, that 4 million ETH back into the beginning all atomically. And if any step breaks, or if I never manage to return the amount, Ethereum just says that never happened. Just pay gas and it's done. Yeah. That's magic of Web3, right? Yeah. And the hope is that these fully on-chain games are going to enjoy that composability. That they're going to be able to work with other smart contracts in awesome and weird atomic ways. That people are going to build on them without permission. Because think about all the protocols that use Uniswap without ever having asked Uniswap for permission. You can't do that with Coinbase. You can't just use Coinbase's API however you want. You have yeah. to have an agreement. Then you have to make sure you're KYC AML. Then you have to make sure you're regulated. But with Uniswap, this is just math. Use it as you want. Yeah. And so, yeah, I want games to benefit from that experience. And that's why I want fully on-chain games. Oh, that is... I can see the future of fully on-chain games is bright, but we just don't know how they would look like. It's just like when everyone in the early 90s had the brick phones and no one could imagine that in 2015, people will be using their phone to take pictures of their breakfast. So it's yeah. like in 1991, no stockbroker who was running around with this brick Motorola would ever imagine why would you do that? It's just like we totally. and just like at the start of the Bitcoin and that people will be using blockchain to trade JPEGs. <laughs> it's like like it wasn't yeah. how people will use it. I don't know, but it will be interesting and amazing way people will use it. I think one, about my my training as a PhD in the humanities. It's one of criticism. 
It's one where you look for how is this thing going to be sexist or racist or homophobic? And you get a sort of second sense for when things are wrong, even before you know it. And then you do research and write papers and you come up with explanations. And in, in venture, where I am now, I feel like it's the opposite. You get a sort of second sense for where's potential growth? Where's something magically weird and different that could produce new experiences or possibilities? And even though you don't know what it is, you're going to just go down the rabbit hole of researching and figuring out why this thing is special. And sometimes you're wrong, just like in research and humanities. And sometimes you're right. And so I love my job. My job is finding founders who have a crazy weird idea, working with them to understand how crazy and how weird their idea is. And then giving them money and my time and mentorship to get them to see their vision come true. And often it's like on a 10-year horizon because we're really men. <laughs> yes. And that's what I find it exciting that, you know, the solutions that's going to be born in this, in this space. It's one of my favorite books is Ascent of Money. And it's the story of money, like from the beginning of time to now and innovation around money and how money plays such a huge role, whether it's in the civil war in US to and the first stock market in Amsterdam to like in what role it plays. I do believe to put people out of poverty and stuff, credit plays a huge role. And that's why like the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, which brought tens of thousands of women out of poverty because it gave them the initial capital to buy a sewing machine or to make garments. And now Bangladesh is, I think, only number two to China in clothing industry and stuff. And so it's just like credit plays a huge role. And even to this day, um, if you want to build a startup, there's no other country as good as U.S. to access credit, <laughs> to access funding. That plays a huge role sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, I completely believe that this is the innovation of money. And it's just going to add productivity to nearly every sector, just like AI is going to add productivity to nearly every other sector. So that's why I'm so bullish on Web3. Yeah. For me, it was this moment reading Andreas Antonopoulos' book, The Internet of Money, when he clearly explains that the big difference between Web2 and Web3 is that information becomes value in Web3. It's not that information is valuable. Information has always been valuable. It's that information is value. So if I tell you my private key, you now own my Bitcoins. If I write a message cryptographically giving you some of my Bitcoins, that is the Bitcoins themselves. I'm not like telling a bank to clear some ledger and to move some cash from one vault to another. No, like the act itself is the transfer of value. And once value becomes information, it then can move at the speed of light and behave with all the functions of value, where everything else becomes irrelevant to it. And that's awesome. And that's why I am excited about this Web3 space, because we don't know really what it means to turn information into value or value into information. Like that's yeah. never been the case before. That is so true. Lo love that. I'm going to clip that out. And I'm going to add the names of these books in the description and show notes for anyone listening, if you want to go back to them. Yeah. What's next? What's next for you? Where do you the space going in your view over the next few years? This is not financial advice. If I tell anybody this, but I add I mean, that as well. And I never <laughs> talk about token prices in my show. It's not that kind of show. Let's talk about adoption instead of prices, right? Mm -hmm. How much adoption in crypto is going to happen? Yeah. Whether the prices go up or down with adoption, we don't know. But the view I have is that we're going to crab adoption. It's not going to go up or down from here for a while. But 
a lot of money was put in 2021. And then people just forget how long it takes to build stuff, especially if they're not builders themselves. And we, people got funded for almost half a decade's worth of like, we get raises with seed valuations in the hundred million dollar range, which doesn't make sense in any market except the bull market of 2021. Yeah. And from that raise, that means that they have operating capital until 2026. And so we have five years of well-funded development to produce awesome things like new games, new financial primitives, better UX, UI, better wallets. And so I think we're going to build for two years. And then the next Bitcoin happening is going to trigger a, a squeeze on the amount of Bitcoin, which is going to build interest again, just enough to get more people excited and looking and then realizing what we've built since and produce, I think, another growth of user base. Yeah, very true. I have one insight to share. This is for the audience. Now, you probably already know this. This is the, I think, Electric Capital's developer report. And one interesting fact in that was that every previous, what do you call, beer market or crypto winter, the number of developers decreased except this one. This one, the numbers are still going up of number of full-time developers and occasional developers working in this space. Yeah. So that's, that's just a sheer amount of investment money that we put in. There was nowhere yes. near this much investment money in the previous. No, so there wasn't. We'll see. We also earn an era of AI, which is yes. so exciting. Can't wait to see what the AI people built. It's not my sector, but I remember that the point of Bitcoin was to bank the unbanked. And at first it seemed, okay, there are a lot of people in the global South who don't have access to bank accounts, but what if, and then I saw okay, also banking teenagers who don't have access to bank accounts, which could be bad, but it could be good too. But then I thought, wait, what about these AIs? These AIs are going to need bank accounts. They're going to need to protect their money from people and they're going to want to spend money. Yeah. And that's going to be really weird. And we're not going to know how to handle that. But for instance, we had one company go through our accelerator called ChainML and they build smart contracts that are tied to AIs. And those yeah. smart contracts kind of act like those AIs wallets. Yeah. And you yeah. Can I was going to say that. So yeah. AI could be connected to a wallet, could create a wallet on its own on the fly, on the go, and then destroy that wallet as well when not needed. And all those sort of things can be done. So it, it is going to happen. So that, yeah. that's that's very fascinating. Having said that, I feel like I can talk with you for next three hours and still have lots of fun. But but just in the interest of time, I'd love to know if you have any any ask. Is there anything you're looking for? Or So Alliance is always looking for applicants, first of all. We... Love to read applications. You can go to our website, alliance.xyz. We want to know what you're working on. We support teams from, if you just know your co-founder and you have a vague idea of what you're building, all the way to you're ready to raise a series seed, you've done a pre-seed, you've gotten your angel round done, and you really just want to explode. Those are the range of like people we want to really mentor and change their lives. Uh, and Alliance... For those who don't know, like we raised $50 million to build one of the greatest DAOs in Web3 from the founders of many major protocols and Web2 companies. And we're here to build an incredible startup society of active Web3 founders, and it's founder only. So that that's what I'm up to. If you're an investor and want to get an Alliance Demo Day and fund some of these startups that we've got, because we're filtering 99%, we tend to have pretty good signal on the space. And so we'd love to meet you and see if we can find ways to include you in the raises of our portcos. Fantastic. That is great. I will be putting links to Alliance Dow and to all your personal socials as well, such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the books that we mentioned in other things in the show notes. 
So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, for all your wisdom and all your insights. Yeah. All right. It's lovely hanging out with you, Sam. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Samani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you. So having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.